0: What's up guys? It's Emily Schramm with Meathead Hippie Podcast. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, be sure you do. I have had the best feedback ever, especially from my females. Um, I just think it's such an important and under talked about topic, talking about pleasure and you deserving it, and then how to interact with another human when it comes to that and how sticky it can be and how complicated it can be and how important it is to just make it less complicated in our own head, so I really, really would love if you guys could listen in on that today's podcast is equally as important, but in a whole different a whole different realm, and again, these podcasts are coming out of me as an extension of what am I inspired by, what do I want to know about? what is something that's just really resonating with me, and what do I see a gap in? and I just think that this is another topic you know first, it was you know pleasure and sex and intimacy, and that was last week today is. Different, but kind of similar because it 's all female empowerment and taking in um, taking something into your own hands and it 's about finances and investments and how to understand the world that can be so scary we don 't really talk you know when I talk about money beliefs, we tap into it a bit about like this money block. this is assuming that we don 't have a money block and we are ready to go so there's definitely resources. I know Sean Croxton talks about it quite a bit um, this is this whole association of you know, someone has a nice car, they must be a dick. (laughs) Or, uh, I see being, I see someone that's successful as someone greedy, or I don't feel like I truly deserve success. And it's my own beliefs are limiting my abundance. So there's so many things and so many angles that this conversation could go, but I, Cody Sanchez is just a powerhouse and I am just grateful. She gave us some really practical advice, books and podcasts and, the biggest takeaway of if you want something to happen, just do it. You guys are going to really love it. I think, um, it's, it's another need to talk about, need to listen to, let me know what you think. And I will be in Alaska as you guys are listening to this, which is so exciting. I will be a little bit of, um, MIA, but I can't wait to hear really just, I think the overall theme of you know, what's your, what's your next thing? Don't be afraid to dream big. I think Cody is going to inspire you to do that. So enjoy. And I'll talk to you when I'm back from Alaska. (laughs) I'm Emily Schramm, the ultimate meathead hippie. Welcome to the show. What's up everybody? Welcome back to Meathead Hippie Podcast. I'm Emily Schramm and I am so excited because this is somebody I met through Mary and we've just, we're going to be best friends after this phone call. I just know it. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so this is Cody Sanchez. Uh, Cody Sanchez Baker is an international investment head, speaker, writer, entrepreneur, and and investor. She is the head of Latin American investments for First Trust and the CEO and founder of CSB LLC. Um, Cody Sanchez, I really am just inspired by you because something that I want to talk about in this podcast is money and investments and, um, you know, of course being your own boss, but not just being your own boss, but like really being in control of your finances in a way that's, uh, just not talked about enough. I think for people, it's like a separation, like that's for them. This is for me. I just want to break through that barrier and just kind of talk about your story and how much of a boss you are. I just want to be inspired and this, you're just the perfect person to do it. So
1: welcome. Oh, you're too sweet. Well, I'm, I'm excited. You've certainly inspired me from a body and health perspective. So hopefully I can add a few little, little tidbits to the the mix here. Of course
0: you can. And it's so fun because, um, we originally got connected because of just the strength program. So you're doing some of the, uh, program six-week programs I are you doing burn or build
1: which one did I'm doing burn right now and then I'm gonna do a build and I'm loving it yay good And that's not a plug I mean 100% (laughs) I do hate you sometimes I love love your stories
0: Love love (laughs) you got some sweaty stories on Instagram tagging me and I'm always so proud um well let's talk about like I mean you're just neck deep into this world of angel investing and uh really just everything we talked about everything I want to talk about where where did this originally start was it just the process of getting in control of your own finances or was it something you've always been passionate about
1: sure so, well, angel investing in particular came over the last two years. So prior to that, my whole background has always been really traditional investments from investment banking to um, commingled investments. So everything from hedge funds to private equity to ETFs, all those things you guys see you know, in your Wealthfront accounts or in your 401ks. Essentially, my business has always been creating those products, packaging them in different ways, and then selling them to big institutional investors. And, and that was the name of the game. It was uh, kind of what I've been doing ever since the 2008 financial crisis. So I graduated sort of right in the midst of cri- of the crisis. Um And, and really, I think at that time realized that without financial freedom, there is really no freedom. Uh, You know, if you don't have a house over your head and, and food in your belly, you don't care a lot about, you know, I don't know, passion or doing what you love for a living. You have to be able to eat first. And so, you know, I was a journalist way back in the day. So I was along the U S Mexico border writing about human trafficking and slavery and, um, and drug, tra- drug trafficking and talk about people who have, you know, no freedom whatsoever. Yeah. And and what I realized through doing those sort of stories along the border was how did they get here and how did I get where I am? And I think the one, you know, overarching theme is, is that, you know, those who have power, which I attribute to money can make incredible lives. And those who don't have power or money or the one language we all speak, which is green, they can't. And so that's what got me into finance overall. Mm. And then what got me into angel investing was, I think it's sort of like the 2.0 or 3.0 of investing. So you know, it used to be only for the elites, just like real estate used to be just for the elites. And now I think angel investing is actually something that people can have in any type of portfolio.
0: So what did did you actually study? You were in journalism, which I think is amazing because I think what a way to like expose yourself the way you just said. I think that was something that was really eye opening for me is even just like the things I dabble in with nine news, watching them in the stories is that you get to see the paradigm of like. (laughs) <laughs> you get to see real life and not the like bedazzled, this is what money can do for you, but yeah. like the struggle. So how did you get from journalism to investment? Cause even the small things before angel investing, that's the thing that I think I want to explain the most for people that are so sure. overwhelmed by what investment is, what, what kind of money they should be putting away or what apps are like a good place to start. So talk to me about your transition from journalism to, uh, you know yes i want to actually learn more about this yeah. that was it did you study that in college was that your degree
1: not at all um and so for anybody that doesn't understand investing don't feel bad i didn't know what a mutual fund was i had <laughs> no idea how to invest it was all very overwhelming to me i'm a latina You know, um, I come from a family of immigrants. We were very, very middle class. My dad didn't have a chance to go to college. So I had no idea. I mean, I had the most imposter syndrome of all time when I started. (laughs) Just forget about it. It's a bunch of dudes in suits and then me showing up. And, And so the reason that I started was I essentially got disillusioned from journalism. We wrote a couple of really powerful stories, won some awards, one about this little woman, Carmelita, we'll never forget. Um, who had been um, left behind. She had been abandoned essentially during the border crossing because it's very difficult as you get older. She was 92, 93, 93 years old trying to cross the border and, uh, and she had been caught and her family had moved on. And if you looked at the map of the border, there were all these people where the same thing is happening along the border. And so I wrote this story about it. We won a bunch of awards and got some press. So I'm 20. I think I'm a badass. Like, I'm ready to go. You know, I'm going to be the next Katie Couric. Forget about everybody else. <laughs> and uh, and then, of course, we go back to give the awards to these, you know, people who are part of our stories. And I remember she, you know, she grabbed my face and her little tiny uh, wrinkly hands. And she said, you know, querida, which means deep year now that now that everybody knows our story we got these awards everybody read them you're gonna fix it right you're gonna help us i was like oh you know and at 20 sort of everything deflated and i just realized i need to understand how to make real change and what i tell every woman or or minority because i'm big on working with and investing in both of them is you have to understand money if you want to have freedom. And I got to that because I've always had a board, a group of mentors around me. Uh, This was one of my international uh, law professors. Um, It was two of the business school professors. And I asked them, like, what could I do? I know I'm naive and I'm a millennial and I want to change the world and I'm small, but how could I actually make change? Why do people sit in these situations? And that's what brought me to finances. They said, you know, well, we think, why don't we think through this? And that's when I got to this idea of financial freedom as the foundation of all freedom. And I want to be in a place where I am sitting on the most power possible. And I think that means understanding money and how it flows. I'm so glad you said that because, you know,
0: did you have any of the money beliefs? I think so many people, uh, there's so many people that write about this and talk about this. Um, Sean Croxton being one the first one that really introduced me to just the way we have these fundamental values and how money sometimes, if we grow up in a way of or in a kind of a mentality of scarcity, we start to see it and we hold on to it, and then we don't allow abundance to flow in our life and so there's so many things that can go along with just money mentality, but for mm-hmm. you, was that um you know, coming from middle class and going to this next step of this is what I want to understand. Did you have to break through any of those own mental blocks of like, I want to make money? Or was it just it was just there?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, that was huge, because my family is, you know, we're immigrants. And so um, there's always a little bit of a scarcity mentality. And, you know, my mother is very particular about how you spend whenever you spend the good part about that is I've always been very, you know, fiscally conservative. Yeah. So I've never spent more than I had. And I mean, I think that's the first piece of financial advice for anyone is don't overspend that credit cards are only really there for very specific reasons. And that that sounds easy. If you've already gotten yourself into debt, that's not that helpful. Um, But it is the most simplistic way to move towards financial freedom is getting rid of any sort of debt, humanly possible. Um, So yeah, I didn't have scarcity as far as I thought I couldn't earn it but I definitely had maybe what some people have listening which is I would get a great job like in journalism I was doing great and my parents would be like perfect you're good you're safe you're fine and I would have that little itch that little voice inside me that said no I'm ready to do the next thing and they would say no no but you're safe but you're making money here but you're doing good and, and, and there's a belief, I think, that parents put on us that like, no, we're good. Don't ask for more. Don't want more. And every single climb, you have to break through that barrier. Mm-hmm. And that I certainly had. So, you know, I've changed in six different firms. And every time it's been a struggle for me um, because I was doing really well, but I knew I could do better. And I had to believe that I could be worth that kind of money. Mm,
0: that's a great point. So what was your first dabble mm-hmm. in, okay, this is what I want to do, switching from journalism to uh, investment. Yeah. I understand the power this has and therefore the impact I can make as an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your first step to that direction?
1: Yeah. Um, well, what I always... Uh, tell other people who want to make career changes, which is it's so amazing. You were just at an event this weekend, right? And you have another event this upcoming weekend. Um, I met Mary, who's our mutual friend, and she's the owner of Fat Fudge, which is a company I invest in, actually. And um, I met her at a conference. And I got my first job at a conference. And I think I got like two of my job offers from somebody I met at a conference. So um, I always recommend, like, find your unique leverage point. You know, for you, what I love about you is you have this, like, meathead hippie, you know, so there's these two things that don't typically go together, right? (laughs) You know, like you're a chick, you're in super great shape, but you're also really health conscious, um, and you have, you know, these own product brands, like those things together are very unique. Now, if you were just a meathead, or you were just a hippie, or you had just a product, It'd be interesting, but not that unique. Mine, for my first conference, I went to one that was a Latina, so a woman and a Latino in finance. And there weren't very many of us. So I went to this conference and I said, okay, well, I fit two of the criteria. I don't know anything about finance. I'll figure out the third. (laughs) And lo and behold, because when you put the three things together, they're unique. I'm not the best at any one of them. But when you put all three together, I'm a pretty good fit. And that inflection point has helped in every single job knowing Spanish, understanding Latin America, having an in with some entrepreneurs to start doing angel investing. Um, So I'm always looking for what's my unfair advantage. I don't want to play where I have to work harder than everybody else. Yeah, that's good. And so
0: your first, um, let's talk about self, like the way you first started investing, uh, particularly for people that have no idea where to even start. And it could be totally separate. You might have done it in a way that you might not recommend, but say somebody is like brand new to this world. And my grandpa is always sending me stuff like, you have to invest, you have to save, you have to invest. And I'm always trying to read it and always trying to take it in. And I'm always like, Oh my God, am I doing enough? Am I, you know, cause I, this isn't stuff they teach you. You know, there's, it's not things that one, I just think it's ridiculous that they don't teach it to you. And and even just in high school, I think it should be part of your home ec classes. <laughs> but regardless, if somebody's like, okay, well, what does that even look like? Um, I guess maybe the step one is what you said is going debt free or trying to get rid of clear all debt that you have. Uh, if it's the second step, if it's after that, what would be the first easy step? And this is kind of the email I sent you when we first connected. Like. Yeah. How do you know you're doing enough? How do you know you're talking to the right people? How do you trust other people with your money? And in a world full of apps and gadgets and promotions, like where do you
1: even begin? Such a good question. Well, I think the first thing to remember is we're not curing cancer and this isn't rocket science. This is way easier than anybody in my industry wants people to know because you guys pay people like people in my industry a lot of money. In order to seem much more intelligent than anybody else, and and in fact, I don't think that's the case. I think you can be hugely simplistic. The problem is, you know, I had a, a call with a guy today who, his call was about I sort of auctioned off like a little bit of a coaching thing at a nonprofit I did, and his question was, "How do you make? I want to be I want to make a million dollars in four years." It's like, I have a hundred K. I'm like, well, you got a ways to go. You know, this is, this is going to be tough. So you can't, you can't think that there's any, um, really, you know, one silver bullet solutions. There's just not, but it is easier than you think. So I think the first thing is knowledge is power. So yes, certainly working on your debt first is important, but I would say anytime I want to go and become an expert at a game, I go where the game is played. And so if I'm wanting to understand finance. I pick probably three books that I think are the most important books at a base level to understand investing. And I start there. And I would go super base. I would go, there's one called Your Money or Your Life, which is this like 90s cult classic that's kind of had a revival. Um, And it's pretty aggressive, but it's all, and and it has some undertones about wanting to retire early. You don't have to want to do any of that, but it's about understanding what you're worth from a salary perspective on an hourly basis and then understanding how you spend. Um, so that's one. So I'd say, start with there. Then I'd go with some of the Tony Robbins books as much as people kind of give him a hard time. They're simple to understand. Um, I think they are best for the, the end investor. And, and I would say, you know, I'm always careful about, he recommends a lot of different financial advisors. I don't do that. Um, and I probably wouldn't go with anybody he recommended just because it seems biased to me. I would pick somebody else. Yeah. Um, but I would read those two books and then I would go to the greatest investor of all time. And you don't have to uh, buy the books. You can just listen to some of his interviews or read Berkshire Hathaway's It's free annual newsletter. Um, they do it every year. And it's at their um, every time he releases financials, he does it. And then he writes an annual newsletter to all of Warren Buffett's uh, investors. Ah, uh, yeah. And he is just, you know, he's he's the sage of Omaha. So um, I would go to where the the greats are. Um, so I would read those three things or listen to them. Mm-hmm. And I would start there. And then as soon as you've done that, you're going to know more than 70, 80% of people do about investing. And I think the most important thing to remember about investing is it's not the same as earning. Like I'm in the world of investing. It's important. You want to beat inflation, meaning like, you know, your money is worth less and less and less every year as as goods become more expensive. So you want to beat that. But the way that you're going to get out of debt, the way that you're going to change your life is making more money. It's not necessarily investing it. That's 2.0. Mm-hmm. The way that you get, you know, fu you money is investing it. But the way that you get comfortably you right now money is earn more, which means negotiate your salary first and foremost. Put it on the calendar. Do it twice a year, even though it's uncomfortable. Search out new jobs. People make twice as much money every time they switch jobs. So you got to think about, you know, that do what you've done. I mean, side hustle after side hustle after side hustle became all main hustles. Yeah. Yeah. And that would be my take.
0: That's perfect. I love this. Uh, this is so, so helpful. I think for people to just start and I do, you know, exactly what you just said with Tony Robbins. I'm on the fence with him, but his book was really good. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah can't, you can't, you can't hate on the book. Um, yeah. it was, I think what I would like to know um, for people that are, okay, maybe we are looking at the side hustle. And I know this is just a question that's going to, as an entrepreneur, because this is the entrepreneur side of you, because that's what is such a beautiful mix is like, you are so aware of investments and helping other entrepreneurs, but it's, isn't it pretty rare to have both or, I mean, that is a weird combo, correct? Like to have your own thing and then also be able to help other people do their own thing. Definitely. I just feel like maybe that's why So many entrepreneurs struggle with this side of it because they have this creative brain and they can create and make products and I can make a tea label look amazing, but it doesn't mean that I'm also really good and analytical. Like that's my, that's definitely my weakness. So it's so cool that you have both of these sides. Um, Talk to me about how your creative side, you know, being an entrepreneur on your own, how, what was your, what's your most, I guess, what's your thing that you love to do the most when it comes to that side? What lights you up when it comes to the entrepreneur side that you have? Oh,
1: Interesting. Um, well, you know, I'm a storyteller. I think, you know, similar to you, even in the way that you do it through images or products. Um, I, I would start as a journalist, everything that I did, um, I did because I'm, curious to a fault and I want to understand more. And then when I understand, I want to wrap it in beautiful phrases and share it. Um, and so if it's writing, like I love, you know, writing, I do a little bit for Forbes and entrepreneur and and those types of places, but it's a very selfish pursuit. It's purely, I would write if nobody was listening. Um, and, uh, and then certainly, you know, speaking and storytelling, I just think that's the way that I learned, you know, back in school. I remember my math teacher told me in high school that Helen Keller would have a better chance of winning an archery contest than I would at succeeding in finance. And so I think somewhere, you know, not politically correct at all, but like that little, that drive reminded me that I don't learn very well from textbooks. I learn from stories and engaging with people. So that's what I love. Yeah.
0: Do you have podcasts that you listen to that you really love? Outside of just kind of general, I'm just curious because I need some good podcasts. I'm getting really depressed by my daily podcast feed.
1: I know. (laughs) I know. Well, you know, this, you're going to think this is a plug, but I was just saying that I really am enjoying yours because I've been so focused on the business pursuit, Mm. finance, investing, business for so long. I've really neglected the body. So I stay in shape, but I don't really know very much about health and food and eating. And so um, I've really enjoyed yours because of that. I can't remember the exact phrasing on it, but is it – there's also one called How I Built This or How – Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Not from uh, – Not it's, just... it's NPR. I was going to say how it's I... the same that does Design Matters, I believe. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, that is a good one. Yeah, so I like How I Built It, I think that's called. Um And because I love to hear stories about builders, I'm really big on those who do instead of those who talk about doing. Yes. Um. Yes.
0: (laughs) That's perfect. I love that you said that. I'm going to just, in case you're wondering what I'm doing, I'm just doing a little Laptop plug in here. <laughs> well, this
1: is the beauty of entrepreneurship on the road.
0: There often. we go. Yes. Okay, cool. And then for people, so say they want to start their side hustle, just because I know a lot of people ask, maybe they have their main job and their side hustle. Was there a shift for you or were you also similar to me where it all became one together? Um, mm-hmm. Or was there a transition period where you worked maybe with an investment banking firm with some stuff on the side and then it, you know, that switch yeah. happened?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, I couldn't really start doing, I I came to a private asset manager like five years ago, something like that. And prior to it, there are all these laws around um, investing in finance to protect the investor, which is important, but that basically scare people off doing anything on the side. Mm. Because the problem with um, finance or any of, you know, attorneys, doctors, whatever they call it, the golden handcuffs, you know, you can do well monetarily, um, and then it gets scary to go do something else ever. Um, and it's extra scary when you make a certain amount of money and then they say, if you do anything on the side, we'll fire you, which is always like a little bit of a cloud overhanging. Uh, and such a sad thing. I think if corporations were smart and they saw that millennials leave jobs on average now, every two years, they would realize the side hustle is something that keeps people engaged, uh, because nobody was meant to do one thing their entire life. That's so true. And it's almost,
0: you know, I just keep having this, thought in my head of like, okay, yes, everyone wants to be their own boss, but instead of just having that freedom, helping people understand that it's because they can finally be themselves at their job title, right? Like they can express their personality in ways that being a CFO or being a accountant can never allow them to do. And so it's more of, you know, yes, it's like fun and liberating and also you can have pride in it, but it's also just being able to express yourself in a way that we've been told isn't possible. Like your career cannot be an expression. It has
1: to be a paycheck. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely true. And I have a problem with that. So I think Mm -hmm. when I went to a private asset manager is when I could actually start doing things on the side. And the great part is if you get to a certain level of success, you can negotiate this a little bit. And I, so, so I was working the private asset manager. Um, I brought in a lot of money for the firm. And, uh, and basically I think one of the best ways to start is to give back. So, you know, um, any of the speaking and writing and, um, and work I do on the side that I get paid for, I donate it all. So I don't mm. take any money from it. Uh, and so it's really hard for corporations to give you a hard time when you're saying I'm raising tens of thousands of dollars for charity and you don't want me to do that anymore. Mm. Um, so that was my first kind of go round with it. Um, and then from there, once I got established and, you know, was doing more of my own thing, um, I started uh, writing and blogging because it was really low. It's a low barrier to entry. It's cheap to start. Mm-hmm. Um, you learn a lot. If you fail, there's nothing really you can fail at. It's a little bit. It's hard to monetize is the tough part. Um, But I started doing that on the side. So first I did, you know, speaking and sort of pro bono charity stuff for women and Latinas uh, in finance. And then I started doing the writing um, and um, working with more startups as an advisory role. And when I started doing that, I started investing in them. And then they wanted me to consult for them. And it kind of grew from there.
0: I feel like I'm cheating. I feel like I need to pay you for this podcast. This is like <laughs> gonna turn no. in, It's about to turn into a consultant you role. do the same thing,
1: you know, because when brands come to you and they want to use your image, like it's much more than that. I mean, brands these days want to pay you X to do X and Y and Z. But if they're smart, they should use you to humanize their brand and understand more about how to do what you, what, what you've done, which is build a completely grassroots brand with a lot of reach. Hmm. Yeah, well, working on it, I think.
0: <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> working on it. Um, talk to me about some of the blocks that women in finance have, or people that women specifically, since this is really your like heart and soul, you know, Latina community or not. I, I've read this crazy statistic um, and I just, I do think that it's because that they weren't set up for failure. They were kind of just that the decrease of CEOs, female CEOs has happened this year, like quite substantially yeah. 25% mm-hmm. or something. And I do think I was thinking, okay, well, why would that be? And they were trying to explain it. And in my theory was that they just, felt like they should plug women into these roles and they probably put them in roles that were already failing and then they didn't have the support they needed. But I just, I thought that was staggering. And so I want to know your take on that with women in the work, in the workplace. Um, obviously the more there are, the more successful they will be, but what is something that us the listening or myself who is also in this role, how can we help support in ways that we don't even realize exist?
1: I love it. Well, I mean, I'm big first and foremost at getting a seat at the table instead of a sign outside the building. So a lot of my friends, um, you know, are vocal on social media and protesting and and whatever. Um, And and I threw my first protest at 15. I'm all for a good protest. Um, But I think that we have to not be divisive. If, if I'm totally honest, I think the goal is you've got to figure out how to infiltrate the system. I mean, if we want to do this in a smart way, it has to be more subversive than throwing stones and wearing hats and yelling at people. I just don't think that's going to get us very far. And in fact, I don't think it helps us understand at all where we're being boxed out or where we're not progressing correctly. Mm-hmm. What I've seen in finance is, well, one, these days, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be a woman in business ever than right now. Like we should not be feeling victim mentality. I don't think about being women in business. We should be like, this is the moment to hit it Mm -hmm. because there's never been this much focus on it. And we've never had a larger voice. Um, and there's never been more money thrown around in general. And so the, the, here's the thing, I think it's a couple fold one I do think we have to negotiate more and we have to get smarter about how we negotiate our upfront salaries. Mm. I do think we have to ask for what we want more frequently, but we have to do it in a way, unfortunately, uh, and it's not politically correct. Unfortunately, when we negotiate as women and when we ask for more, um, we can't be as direct and aggressive as men. It's just, it's unfortunate. I've seen it time and time again. It comes off bad in the corporate environment. Mm. If you want to get farther, You have to be a little bit more suave and sly. Um, And so I think we have to negotiate more often, but we've got to do it a little bit sneakier and a little bit more um, thoughtful. And then on top of that, I think we have to hire more of what we want. You know, my team is largely minorities, Mm -hmm. women, veterans, Latinos, Latinas, um, because I put my money where my mouth is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we have to sort of reach the hand down as we're climbing up. Um, So I think those are three really big ones. And, you know, on top of that, I think go to the other side, find more mentors who are men work for more men who are big proponents for women. There are tons of them. My favorite mentor in the business is a, is a man that has promoted like six women to, you know, positions that all are million dollar plus, um, a year positions. Mm -hmm. Um, and, don't work for men who don't promote women. There's 2.9% unemployment. That means basically nobody's unemployed right now. If you are able to physically and mentally work and you have grind, you should be able to get a job right now. This is the lowest unemployment we've ever seen in the history of the US. So with that, what that means, if you have a terrible boss or you have a company that doesn't promote women, you've gotta start thinking about how to leave. I know it's not easy. I've been there before many a time. Um, but you've got to start putting yourself out there and trying to find different roles because there are too many good companies uh, for you to stay in that sort of role. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. And it's so interesting because
0: I'm so removed. I've never been in a corporate world, right? So I think that's why this whole world of investment and banking is so different for me, but I'm fascinated by it and I love it. But to just be in dynamics when I do corporate wellness, I'm like, Oh, this is okay. This is a whole different world. It's just so different. But I think that it would be good. I think there's a lot of talk in all these companies about gender equality and, like superficial execution because they want to check the box. Um, do you have some kind of like timelines of, okay, so yes, we're going to have equal pay and it doesn't happen. Or for somebody that's listening, that's like, how do I know if my business or company is pro women? Like, what would that even look like? Because I, I don't, we haven't had that discussion. What are some of like the signs? Is it just at the end of the year looking at gender pay and the gender gap?
1: I don't, I think it should be really personal. Hmm. I think it should be, do you feel like you're getting supported in your organization and growing? And are you being really honest with yourself about, you know, you don't want to have the victim mentality. So I'm always like careful about that. You shouldn't be getting promoted just because you're a woman and you maybe aren't not getting promoted just because you're a woman. So be really self-aware in, are you progressing the way that you think you should? If you aren't, why? Why? Is it something that you can change or influence within your company? If there is real bias, then I think that's something to consider. But I always think about it on a personal level. I don't look at it as the company overall because I do think companies are usually a microcosm so of each individual experience. And most people leave their job because they don't like their boss. It's the number one reason people leave. Mm. Um, and so if your boss isn't a proponent for you, for whatever reason, you know, it's hard to make assumptions for whatever reason, then I think it starts becoming, okay, what's the next move? Mm. And, and do it smart. You know, too many people these days are like, go find something else. It's, it's fine. Follow your passion. I yes, I think that's true, but don't leave it all on the table. You know, figure out a way to leverage your spot now into something better and think about whose kingdom are you building? I think that is a big cuz I
0: think sometimes there's too many messages out there that are like just do it, just jump, just take the jump. But it's like you have to have security in some way because if not then you're going to end up I don't know that it is such a fine line to walk it is like I tend I'm the opposite I tend to overdo I would rather have three jobs and hate them all a little bit than have one job that I really hate you know so that's how I was even when I was like 13 so I just feel like it's true is finding that switch is making sure that you do have security because it goes back to what you first said like you can't you know what can what does it look like when you have your needs met and you're able to establish that safety net and then be able to create from that place. Um, I think that's a great point. Do you, do you feel this is so tangent, but with people that have uh, their needs met, do you feel like their creativity is better than if they're in a survival mode and have creativity? Okay. Do you have I? Because I'm in the place where I feel like when I'm like do or die is when I'm the best at creativity. Mm. But that could be just totally my BS. Saying like, yeah, good job, <laughs> Em. You like pulled that one out. So I'm very curious, like, what your thoughts are. Is if you have your needs met and, and you're in the place that you are now, do you feel like you're able to express yourself differently and in better ways than you were when you were first starting out?
1: Oh, well, I do think complacency is the number one killer of hustle. Mm. So I think. If you have all your needs met and everything is pretty good and life's okay, then it's hard to create massive change because change is uncomfortable. And I think change and creativity usually go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a point to that. Yeah. Um, It's something I have to remind myself of all the time. Um, And it's usually why I try to, and you hear all the podcasters and everybody talking about it. try to do things that make you uncomfortable all the time, Mm -hmm. which you Mm -hmm. do sort of naturally. Um, and I do think that leads to creativity because otherwise you get stagnant, you get complacent and, and I just don't like average lives much. Um, I don't either. (laughs) Yeah, so true. (laughs) It is. But, but I think, um, you know, so, so I think there's a way where even when you're, um, even, even if I never had to work for another dollar for the rest of my life and could buy anything that I wanted, um, I just have that sort of mentality that's always like, no, but I could be doing more. But, you know, so so I think probably the same with you, it's this internal drive that for some reason tells us like, no, we need to create, we need to do more. Um, And then you start to love it. I don't know how you are, but I love grinding and working when I am working on things that fuel me, like Mm -hmm. go to a movie. No, thank you. You know, go and watch the mindless reality show. Not going to happen. Like Mm -hmm. I want to grind.
0: Yeah, I know So
1: Find that. It's so funny. I talk about this with Bradford a
0: lot. Like it almost is like we came out with some sort of unjustifiable chip on our shoulder. Like we don't know what it was or we don't need it. We have a great life. We're blessed. We have had great opportunities, but there's something there that's just like, and it maybe it is justified. Like with the conversations I know you've probably had and the looks of like, really, what are you going to do? And then you're like, watch me. Like, I think maybe that's probably more of it, but I do think that's so true. What you just said, it's like most definitely when you find it, you just don't want to stop doing it. Yeah. Um,
1: so how do you, I mean, I'm sure you've gotten that a million times where people say you can't do this, you know, it's not impossible, but for you it is. How do you push through that? Um,
0: you know, it's so, it, the chip on my shoulder probably really happened um, I didn't realize how stereotypical people were until the reality show I was on. So understanding how much people wanted me in a box, they wanted me to be titled. They wanted so badly for me to, to understand me. And I think that's where it originated, where I was like that there's too many layers for this. And so I think when people are like, you know, wearing, you're wearing all the hats, you should do less, better X, Y, Z. It's just, for me, it's just saying, I used to want to say like, this is me proving that I can all the time. And now I just am like, you know what? I just, uh, let me send you a, my pack, my tea, my meathead hippie sweatshirt. Like, let me just experience it. And then you'll just get it. Cause you're not going to get it. Cause people just don't get it. They either get it or they don't. So like you are definitely someone I love because you just got it. You didn't even think twice. And you were supportive of me before you even knew me. You know, and the, those are the people I have to surround myself with because there are so many of the other people that just still just like, when I was on real world, like what, well, who are you? What personality are you I'm like? I'm, I'm not going to be something that is understandable. So I think I just try to stay away from them. And then instead of trying to yeah. pr- prove it to them, I'm just like, well, I'll I'll, just, I'll see you there one day. You'll yeah. get, you'll get it.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, no, it's, it's hard to do. So I commend you. Mm. Well, I
0: think with you, I, and I was curious for you, um, My main question was, okay, so taking where you were with maybe at the private, as a private asset manager and then doing things on the side. And then how did you take it to that next level of now we're angel investing, which is something that happened the last couple of years. When when did you know you were ready for that? And was it just the connections you had with the people that you knew? And what was that next step where you're like, okay, I'm here, but again, I'm ready for the next thing.
1: Yeah. So I think I have the same process every time, pretty much, which is read the top couple of books on the subject. So for that one, I I read Angel, which is Jason Kellyanne's book um, on how to angel invest. Um, I guess that came later. Well, so uh, that book's one of my favorites. Um, In startup investing, I read, uh, there are a couple like really good original ones on um, VCs and term sheet investing. I can't remember. His name's David. I read Um, Hard thing about hard things from Ben Horowitz, who's one of the co-founders of Andreessen Horowitz, one of the foremost um, VC funds. And, and i think i just picked off of google like what are the five books that you need to read on venture capital and angel investing and i started reading them and i started with some fun ones and then i layered in some really terrible you know like accounting and term sheet investing and terrible books in between and then once i had read those i kind of knew some players so then i took the players and i always put them in, in a spreadsheet and so i took like the top 50 players in the vc world that i could find followed them all on twitter uh signed up for all of their newsletters and blogs and podcasts. Uh, Andreessen Horowitz has a, a podcast as well that's good if you're interested in startup investing. Um, and, uh, and there's another one called Hack, which I like a lot, which is, uh, which is another, another VC podcast. And then once I had done that, I started looking for conferences and seeing, okay, who's having conferences in this space? So I went to SumoCon, which was won by Noah Kagan and Austin, mm-hmm. um, and that was more like startup entrepreneurs. It was just it was close by and cheap. Um, I ended up doing an angel one from Jason Calacanis too. I went to some breakout demo days, all the incubators and accelerators where startups go to get smarter, faster funding. Um, I started going and listening to their demo days at the end of the cycle when all of their people would go through them. And then once I knew enough to be dangerous, I would reach out to some of the big players and see who will engage with me, who will chat with me. Um, and probably after you know six months of doing that, um, I started getting offers. You, you start getting offers for people to take your money immediately. So just don't do anything for like the first six months. just learn, don't invest in a thing. Uh, and then after the first six months, I started getting offers from firms kind of saying, hey, we'd like you to be an entrepreneur in residence, an investor in residence. And I started doing that, but it's, it's really not rocket science. Learn a little bit, three books. You're smarter than 70%. Then reach out to the players in the space and then go and try to meet them hand to hand. And most people won't do any of that. So oh, you'll be golden. I love it.
0: You're such a go-getter. This is so good to talk to. Cause even if someone's like, I have no desire to venture capital, <laughs> they they are like still going to get It's This is what it is. You just show up and you just do it. Like you really, yeah. the message that you have is put your life in your own hands because that's, that's all you got. You got to execute if you want something. Um, absolutely true. So somebody that's brand new, and this is back to that original conversation we just had. So say pre, you know, maybe they just got out of debt or they're almost out of debt and they want to just start thinking smarter about their finances. You know, they get a paycheck, maybe they have a 401k. What is something that you would say, is it a percentage of your paycheck goes into X, Y, Z. Um, I know you do like Wealthfront, but there's also some other ways that you could maybe invest. What would you say maybe top three places to go and things that I think everyone should be doing and maybe aren't thinking about?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, the first thing I'd say to do like really simplistic, if you want to start at like the basis level is any bank has a roundup program. So they'll round up from you know two fifty to three dollars on every purchase. So you can start with literal cents, mm-hmm. um, and they'll put that in an investment account for you. So I'd say start there. If that seems too basic for you, then do an auto pay into whatever investment account that you have. I mean, these days there's a lot of government protections. So I think you know as long as you're going with big well known names and not like Cody Sanchez Incorporated, um, you know. I think you're probably fine. Um, Just make sure that you do a little bit of homework. There's a site called FINRA Broker Check. Mm. And on FINRA Broker Check, you can check up the name of any financial advisor and see if they have any complaints against them. Um, And that way you can just make sure you, you know a little bit about who you're dealing with. Um, and, and so I would just start putting very small amounts away. Then from there, I mean, my strategy, I'll just tell you what I do is like, I'm actually very risk adverse in investing because my whole world is tied up in the stock market. Um, and so I'm very careful about putting too much risk on. So for me personally, and I'm no, you know, I'm no one that can, that can tell any individual investor what to do in this. Um, but I like to make sure that I'm earning my money, not just investing it. So I'm very big on sort of investing. I'm sorry, earning, investing a little bit, earning, investing, um, and diversifying. And so not having too much in any one individual thing. But you know, the thing is, like, like I said, in the beginning, people are going to make this really seem difficult and uh, like you have to be very intelligent to figure out. And the truth is you just don't. Um, The only other thing I'd say is like your local, if you're a small business, like you are, there's so much free money out there for women, for minorities, for small business owners in general. So I would always check with your local um, chamber of commerce. There may be grants available for you. I would check with your small business association um, there's often grants and loans at some of the best prices out there. Um, so yeah, so start by saving, think about other people's money, continue to earn, um, and, uh, and don't spend more than what you make. And that's literally all you have to do. I love that. Uh,
0: for What's the biggest like misconception? I think this is what we're in before I ask you, your spirit animal, which I always ask people. I, oh. I got to warn you first, <laughs> but yes. What do you think the biggest myth of like, do you have any don't do's?
1: Mm, that's a good question. I mean, um, I think in in this business, uh, like Warren Buffett's rule is is always um, he says number one, never lose money. Number two, never forget rule number one. And so I think in investing, it's often the investments you don't make that are the ones that make you the most money. So just be very careful. Don't trust everything that people say. When the next new hot crypto fund comes out and you don't understand every single thing about how cryptocurrencies work, don't invest. Um, Because where you're going to make the real money is in not losing it. Mm -hmm. So I would just say, take it super slow. Don't try to hit any home runs. And remember that in this game, like you're playing against, it's like me trying to go lift against you. Like, you know, there are Olympic athletes and then there's everyday athletes. And so, you know, if it's just me out there thinking that I understand everything that it takes to become an Olympic athlete, they're really, they're going to have me at a disadvantage. So I would say, just remember, you have a lot of really smart institutional players playing in investment land. Don't try to pretend that you're more intelligent than they are when they're spending every day of their life doing this. This isn't me. That's not what I do. Um, but there are a lot of people who will tell you all the money they've made and just like gamblers, they never tell you what they lost. Mm,
0: That's a really good point. What are your thoughts? This is so random. What are your thoughts on Shark Tank? (laughs)
1: Um, I mean, I, I, I love it because I think that it gets everyday people seeing that anybody can start a business. Mm, Yeah. Um, yeah. And I love that business has gotten sexy. I mean, it used to be really nerdy. Like my father was an entrepreneur three times over. He would never call himself that. He would call himself, I don't know, a business owner. Like he he ran a, a marble and granite store. He would have never called himself an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. He would have never said he had exits in a business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I wasn't cool. Nobody knew. And so I think Shark Tank, if nothing else, it's telling people what's what's cool again. And for all entrepreneurs, I've been trying to get Mary to go on the show and they've been offering her to go on and she won't go on with Fat Fudge. And my whole point is it's free marketing and reach, um just maybe like you're same with reality tv you know you didn't want to be a reality tv star i'm sure but you were like you know what my reach is going to be huge i'm going to have experience on the air and i'm going to have this platform that somebody's going to give to me for free hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I definitely didn't realize that then, but then it turned into that like, oh, that was an accident. (laughs) I'll take that. (laughs) Um, That's so true. Well, that's so cool. I mean, I I do love Shark Tank. I'm like obsessed with Mark Cuban. So I kind of, uh, I do. I'm I'm with you. He's just the coolest. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I was just so curious about it. Well, do you know, just to wrap up, um, do you know what your spirit animal might be? Well,
1: I do love the cards you put in your tea. Yeah, and, and Mine was an antelope, if I recall. Oh. I yeah. love the antelopes. I do. You... Too. But then I went to Africa and I saw how what happens to them there. So I do not want to be an <laughs> Oh shit.
0: <laughs> 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 uh, oh, Where did you go like in that? Africa?
1: Uh, I went to Kenya and Uganda. Mm, um, amazing. Yeah. So I don't know, a spirit animal. You, you know, it's like uh I'd like to think I'm off like a fox or something. I'm kinda wild of wily and go out there and, you know, sneak a chicken even when I shouldn't. But okay. I'm probably I probably am an antelope and just like shivering in the African plains.
0: I'm gonna read fox, just I don't see you as an antelope in that <laughs> regard. So I'm gonna read fox and let's just see. Um are you a night person?
1: Mm. No, I'm kind of a grandma.
0: Okay. Then I don't think it's you. Night person is a fox. You're not a fox. That was the first line. I swear, well, this book, I'm like, if it's not all or nothing, it's not you. Okay, let's yeah, just read I'm...
1: Antelope. We'll just see. <laughs> okay. See if we're right. See if. <laughs> I mean, maybe that was just that type of Antelope. It was a, yeah, it was, a, it was a scaredy cat Antelope. I mean, they're fast runners. It's also not me. But they're cute, so maybe, maybe I could win that one as my boyfriend. <laughs> this is the first line I like. You're quick-witted and can think on
0: your feet, enabling you to deal effectively with any situation you find yourself in.
1: That sounds pretty nice.
0: You're innately psychic and highly intuitive, having been born with the gift of clairvoyance. Maybe Ooh, that might. This is great. This might be you. You're highly adaptable, at ease, able to survive in any environment you're in so far. Check, check, check.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, I don't know about this one. I don't know. Although you're shy, you don't like to be alone for too long of a time. You will seek out the company of those you feel safe and comfortable with. Mm. You're not shy, but <laughs> your judgment is quite sound. You have confidence that actions, you, the actions you will take will be successful. Oh, okay. okay. Well, it's, it's, I like it. I, I can think, be an antelope. Look at <laughs> you.
1: Look how cute you are. <laughs> I all... like I'm, I'm mixed. That's my Latino there. I got a little brown. I got yeah. a little white. <laughs> it also, so
0: you're a pronghorn antelope, very specifically, yep. just so you know, in case anyone asks.
1: <laughs> I love it. Well, don't tell my dad he's a hunter. I'm sure he's gone after those oh, before. No.
0: Well, Cody, um, I know you're at CodySanchez.com is, I mean, you are
1: so great at,
0: I want to know what your events are because I want to see you speak in person, but is the best place just to get on your newsletter?
1: Yeah, I think, well, I think the best thing, I have to admit, I'm terrible at newsletter and and blogging frequently. So the best is probably Instagram, um, which is just Cody Sanchez, uh, C-O-D-I-E, S-A-N-C-H-E-Z. And yeah, and you can... Hopefully we'll come and get a workout in in Denver in your new place soon.
0: I know. Fingers crossed. And next time in in Austin, I am in Austin in September. So maybe we could, I don't know if you'll be there, but we'll touch base. Yeah.
1: I have some people you should meet. Perfect.
0: It was so wonderful to talk to you, obviously for selfish reasons, because you're just a badass and you're just doing it. But I, uh, I don't think this is talked about enough and I'm just really grateful that we had you come on because this is going to be helpful. I hope it inspires people to invest and, take control of their finances because it is what you said it's a powerful thing it's not a negative thing and breaking through that and understanding that is a really beautiful thing
1: absolutely I'm with you yeah I mean I hope people just remember um, money's just a tool so you know do you want to have the jackhammer or you want to just have a nail Um, and so I think the option is go out and get as much as you can because if not you then then who Mm
0: rock on. I love it. You're so awesome. Thanks, Cody. Thank you.